Well, hi, everyone. Good evening. Uh, welcome. Thank you so much for attending. Um, I see a lot of familiar faces out there, but those I haven't met, my name is Gene Manning. I'm the interim town planner here in Canton. Uh, and we really appreciate you joining us on this, on behalf of the board, this really important subject of Washington Street, the main thoroughfare of our town, something that obviously everyone here has a vested interest in. We want it to look its best to be really, really be um, a jewel in the community. And uh, we asked our friends at MAPC to join us tonight and help create the vision with your input to be able to see what Washington Street looks like uh, in the future down the road through some potential changes. So it's really exciting uh, to bring everyone here. And uh, I know we have a lot of our businesses here. Thank you for joining us. I just want to make a couple of introductions. We have the vice chair of our select board, Lisa Lopez here. Lisa, thank you for joining us. Uh, Patty McDermott, who's the chair of the planning board, is with us. Also, a couple of other town officials, Jen from our selectman's office. Thanks, Jen. Uh, Ed Walsh from our building department, the chair of the zoning board is here. Uh, Greg Pando, uh, I think I get everybody. And uh, we really appreciate you joining us uh, and talking through everything tonight. So. This is really participation. We need your help to create the vision. Uh, Josh is uh, our partner from the Metropolitan Area Planning Council. Uh, they've been working with the town on this for a while. So this public meeting is really our first step to hopefully craft a plan as we did with uh, Canton Junction in 138 and to be able to look ahead and see how Washington Street looks in the future. So Patty, did you, any other comments or? I just wanted to thank everybody that's here and watching online or watching virtually or whatever way they're watching. Um, primarily, the, what happened was when the master plan committee met, they saw that there were these particular areas that needed updating, whether it was zoning as well as facades and how we can try and make it easier for not only the town members but also the, the individuals that own the properties to somehow maybe we can upgrade. They can do it. We can make it easier for them possibly to do multiple implementation, whether they do business as well as housing. It'd be nice to see somehow if we can complete that type of vision for the town to make it look, better work, pretty, but to make it look nicer and more walk and user friendly for bikes as well as uh, pedestrian traffic as well. Thank you, Josh. And one other introduction I just want to make, Kevin Shea is here. Kevin uh, works for our Canton Housing Trust. Kevin may be a new face to all of you. He's been a terrific addition to the town and working with Patty and I and the select board moving forward on some of the critical housing needs for Canton. So Kevin, welcome. Thank you for joining us. So at this point, uh, I want to turn it over to Josh, uh, who will be uh, leading the discussion tonight. Uh, Patty and I looked at this presentation. We think you're really going to enjoy it. It requires a lot of participation by you and thought, but it really kind of opens the door to a vision for Washington Street. So. Uh, MAPC uh, did a great job, and Josh, welcome to Canton. Great. And Josh did interviews with myself and Patty and a lot of the department heads to kind of gather information on the current state of Washington Street. He's looked at the zoning maps, he's looked at the current businesses, looked at traffic, et cetera, and so on. So as we move through tonight, all those things will be addressed. So with that, I'll turn it over to Josh to lead us and uh, take it away. Thank you, Gene. Thank you, Patty. Good evening, everyone. I'm Josh Fiala, uh, Principal Planner at the Metropolitan Area Planning Council. As Gene mentioned, here this evening, uh, great to see a nice audience to talk about Canton Center and sometimes uh, not as exciting subject, which is zoning. So it's good to have you all out to talk about 
zoning updates in the in your town center. Um, this is our agenda for this evening. It is it is pretty packed, and I have a lot to cover. So I, I appreciate your patience. But there's a lot of, uh, as Gene mentioned, engagement woven into this presentation through some polling, which we'll get set up in a moment, um, and that will be hopefully fun, even dare I say, uh, and interactive. So it's it's uh, really. Our intention this evening is to get your feedback on the zoning for town center and where we should head with our um, with our recommendations to the town and make sure that there is some support, hopefully building for those recommendations as they start to uh, firm up over the next few months. So I'll, I'll start off um, first with a little bit of background on Can Center and why exactly we're here. And I'll talk through um, can Center in general, and then we'll go through some zoning changes with specific characteristics of the zoning in, in the town center. And that will be where we're really focused on um, some of those polling items to get your initial feel for what's, what's the right direction. We'll also touch on design guidelines in this meeting, and then talk about some other examples or whether or not uh, we've got some good ones lined up or if there are other suggestions from you all as well. So first a little bit more about the study. Uh, Patty uh, gave an introduction, of course. We've got other planning board members. This is a planning board sponsored study, so we're, we're happy to be uh, here, hosted by the planning board. We thank the board for their involvement. And Gene, of course, has been a great uh, help for us as well, getting us a, a, you know, fixed up with all the information about Canton Center. If you don't know about Metropolitan Area Planning Council, MAPC, we're the Greater Boston Regional Planning Agency, so we provide planning services to the cities and towns roughly within the 495 belt of the city um, and really are here to supplement the technical capabilities of municipalities with our expertise. So we're happy to support communities in this way and we are um, happy to be with Canton in this effort. So uh, there was the, the Canton Center zoning has been in place for nearly 20 years now. It's uh, called the Canton Economic Opportunity Overlay District it is uh, an overlay zoning district, um, and it has resulted in a number of mixed-use development projects over that 20-year period. Uh, but the master plan, which was recently completed in the town, identified the zoning specifically in the town center as, as something that the time has come and it's need of an update, and to look at uh, what how the update should occur with you all and make sure that it's reflecting best practices for zoning in downtown and town center areas. Here's where the, the zoning uh, for downtown and town center uh, covers today. Uh, you can see that Canton Center Economic Opportunity District is actually broken into three sub-districts. So there's sub-district A, which includes the commuter rail station and then the areas south along Washington Street. Um, and that is then, there's a smaller sub-district section B, which is uh, to the northern edge of the uh, town center, and then there's subsection C, which is the Paul Revere Heritage Site. We're focused on the sub-districts A and B in this effort, not so much the Paul Revere Heritage Site. So in that master plan, which was completed just a couple years ago, uh, really the guiding principles were to think about Canton Center with a strong sense of place, uh, a place that's walkable, uh, a place that has a vibrant mix of activities, uh, a broad range of uses, and strong connections to nearby destinations. It's really uh, acting as a heart in many ways of the, of the town and has uh, a lot of attractions and is more attractive over time 
Uh, and that was uh, really a strong focus, one of the focus areas of the master plan. And so this study can be thought of as an implementation effort of the master plan. So we're, we're really moving beyond what the master plan provided and in getting into the nuts and bolts of the zoning and trying to align the zoning with the vision which was articulated in the master plan. <clears throat> there were some relevant master plan goals. I won't uh, go through them all one by one, but really the uh, thinking was to create a more uh, easily understood set of development procedures and, and uh, regulations for the Canton Center area, thinking about the uses, the dimensional requirements, uh, design standards which might be appropriate, uh, parking requirements as well. We'll go through all of those in detail this evening. Uh, and then also more detailed elements like signage requirements uh, or other design features of the town center, uh, all reflecting back on that big notion of creating a more attractive sense of place there in the town center. There are other relevant studies. Uh, there's a uh, study and subcommittee in the town going on looking at the multifamily zoning requirements for the MBTA, which we'll talk, I'll talk about the details of in a slide later, but that's a, a recent uh, law which was passed in the state. Um, and then the Washington Street Corridor study in Canton, which is recently completed, thinking about more uh, traffic and the, the connections, the orientation, the, the roadway itself, which is not necessarily the focus of our work, but we're paying close attention to that effort. There was also a, a Can Center Rapid Recovery Plan, which was a part of the Department of Housing and Community Development's efforts to uh, give an economic boost to town centers through the pandemic. So that's a, a really worthwhile study that we're trying to build on as well. The Canton Junction planning effort, which was just next door and Gene mentioned, Complete Streets Prioritization Planning, which also thinks about the uh, sidewalks, bike lanes, and connectivity in, in the town center. And then the downtown parking strategy, which was completed a few, a few years ago, but is still very relevant and has some good conclusions. Just to mention on the, the parking study in terms of its details, overall, you might be surprised, there are over 1,500 parking spaces in town center, uh, which may, may seem like a lot or more than you, you feel like there might be there. Um, many of those are off-street spaces, which are often private lots. There are 166 on-street spaces. Overall, all of those parking spaces are utilized less, less than 50% across all time periods, sort of weekends, evenings, uh, any time of the day. So there, there is, is parking there. I know parking in downtown areas is always a touchy subject, no matter what the downtown is. So just to put that out there as, as a bit of context, we'll talk about parking in detail in a moment. So here, here we're coming to the polling. And what I would like you all to do, it makes the meeting more fun, I promise, if we just get over this little hurdle, is pull out your phone. If you have a phone with you this evening, if you don't have a phone with you, we've got some handouts, you can do it on paper. But the cool thing about the phone is your, your responses will actually show up live as we're going through the questions. So you'll get to see what your neighbors and fellow residents are, are thinking. So what you do is pull up your message app, and you want to send a message to the number 22333, and the message that you're sending is M-A-P-C-P-O-L-L. -L. And that will actually connect you to the polling software that we're using here. So you just pull up your message app, get that up. The, if, you don't need, if you don't want to use your cell phone, maybe if you raise your hand and uh, Patty can circulate some handouts for you. We'll collect those at the end of the meeting. We'll, we'll combine them all together. So no worries if you don't want to use your phone. We've got pens and, and paper as well. And those instructions will be at the top of the screen for all the questions. So if, if you don't get to that. 
But first, um, we've, we've said a little bit about who we are and why we're here presenting to you this evening. But we'd also like to um, ask about who you are. Thank you. And so our first series of questions, we've got five questions in this, in this uh, run of who's in the audience. And you see at the top of the screen those same instructions where you want to text M-A-P-C-P-O-L-L to the number 22333. And then you should get a message back that says you're connected to the poll. And then what you do is respond with the, the letter as the polling question comes up on the screen. Re respond with the letter that makes sense from where you're sitting. The first question is, what is your primary relationship to Canton Center? Are you a resident? A business owner, you type B, for example. A property owner, you type C, and hit send, send that back in. You work in downtown, you're a visitor or a patron, or you prefer not to answer and keep yourself a little bit anonymous. So try to get connected to that if you can. And we'll, we'll keep going. There'll be other questions that do that. Are people having issues with that in terms of the connection? Everyone's good? Okay. So if you press send, once you get connected. All right, I'm gonna, I'll go along to the next question. Don't worry if you missed out on that one. It's not, it's not the most critical. But just to keep us moving along. Next question is, where do you live? So you'd respond again through the message app. A for Canton Center, B for a surrounding neighborhood, C for the town in general in Canton. D for a surrounding town, maybe you're a business or property owner and not a Canton resident. Or again, if you prefer to keep that little bit of anonymity in the room, you prefer not to answer, or if it's an other answer. And it looked like on the previous question, most, most people in the room were residents. All right, so most people are from the surrounding neighborhoods around Canton Center. Thank you for that. Yes. And just a little bit more demographic information. What is your age? Uh, are you under 24? That would be A, 25 to 39, B, 40 to 59, C, 60 to 74, and D, 75 and over, E. Or you can prefer not to answer that as well. <coughs> And this just gives us a feel for how the audience we're engaging with compares to the town-wide demographics, for example. And then a question about how you engage with Canton Center. So how often do you visit? Many times per day, once or twice a day, many times a week, once or twice per week, a few times a month, a few times a year. What Roughly, what's the frequency of how often you're engaging with Canton Center. All right, so it looks like many times per week is the most popular answer with some others that are visiting even more frequently. Thank you for that. And this is the last question in this series, and then we'll move on to a little bit more presentation and some other questions, but just a one or two word answer get a feel for what your top priority is for Canton Center. And as, as words are responded, uh, the larger the word appears, the more people are responding with the same word. 
So this is a, a word cloud that should grow in that way if there's similar keyword responses. So we see walkability, business, pedestrian, friendly, accessible, small, local, vibrant, traffic. It's like pedestrian business and walkability are kind of holding the, the top of that response and also traffic now. Great. Thank you very much for that. Looks like a nice collection of walkability, pedestrian-oriented issues, safety, uh, small or probably quaint, um, and then a focus on the businesses. So thank you for giving us a, a framework for what your priorities are this evening. I think we'll be touching on a lot of those. So before we get into the zoning characteristics, which we'll do similar polling for, um, I did want to give a little context of the Kent Center, kind of a way that we as planners think about districts like this. So we have a little bit of analysis. Um, first observation is uh, about Kent Center itself. As you walk around or visit Kent Center, there's really a variety of types of buildings, mix of uses, uh, shops, restaurants, services. You can see in the context of Kent Center today, there's really a quaint scale, an electric, eclectic variety of properties and buildings that um, represent the district today. And you can see that in the photographs here, that there's not, it's not just one type of thing occurring there, both in terms of its activities and the way those activities are housed. A little more, more formal or technical representation of that activity is through a land use map. <clears throat> this is one of the ways we measure the variety of building activity and properties uh, with land use. So you can see the color-coded chart uh, that relates to the map on the screen. And this is a kind of bird's eye view diagram of the district that we're going to use for a few of the um, diagrams here. But you can see the, the southern portion of the district with Walnut Street is to the left. Uh, Lewis Street, the northern portion, is to the right as that map is kind of skewed a little bit. Washington Street's running up its center. So in this case, yellow is residential properties, the red are commercial, uh, blue is municipal or institutional, the purple is mixed use, the blue tones are, or the darker blue tones are industrial or light industrial, and then the, um, I guess, other pink tone is utilities. So. Um, you can see that it's predominantly actually residential. Um, and let me just get a percentage here for you. That that's um, the most predominant use is that top category, which is residential single family, actually. A lot of the surrounding properties on the side streets represent 44% of the parcels and properties in the district of the overlay zones. That's single family homes. The next um, highest are two plus family homes, that second category down, which ranges anywhere from a duplex all the way to a large multifamily project that you see, um, one of the, maybe more of the, one of the more recent uh, residential developments, for example. That's 18%. Uh, and then that's followed by shops, stores, restaurants, and services, which have about 15% of the properties in the district. Another way to think about uh, the sort of current snapshot of the district and its redevelopment potential in the, in the future or near, near future is a comparison of the building value on a property compared to the land value. 
So this might give you an indication if the land, for example, is much more valuable than the building that's on that property, it's sometimes an indication that that property could be redeveloped in the near future because the land is quite valuable uh, all, all around the greater Boston region. And if the building is less so, then that, that represents sometimes an opportunity. So you see here um, where the parcels are red, we've kind of said, no, that's where the building value is more than the, the property. So it might be a property that's been invested in recently or has a high value building on it. Um, so that is kind of the, the no-go. Just in this shorthand, this isn't, isn't a perfect science, of course. It's just a, a way to look at the dynamics in the district. And then the green-coated uh, parcels, in this case, have a building value which is less than the land value. And that's about 53% um, about of the properties in the district today have a building value which is less than the land value. So almost about, just a little more than half. Just another interesting way to look at it, um, thinking about whether it's a public or private property in the district, predominantly private properties in the district, about 95% of the properties in the district, which are orange in this map, are privately owned properties. Uh, so. It, you know, we've got the library where we are this evening, some senior housing uh, project, or some uh, uh, housing authority property, the town hall, et cetera, but predominantly private properties in the district. Another way to think about some of the dynamics occurring in the district are whether or not a property is owner-occupied. And this, again, isn't a perfect science, but what we did here was take a look at the um, assessor's data, and if a property owner has their mailing address as the address of the property, we considered that an owner-occupied property. So you see those properties coded here in blue. And so those would be the ones where the mailing address is going to the property itself. The properties in gray have a mailing address that is either um, somewhere else in Canton or outside of Canton or even outside of the state. Most properties are um, not owner-occupied, 57%, in fact. Question, Josh? Yes. <laughs> I have a question about that slide and the previous slide. Are those percent in numbers of parcels as opposed to value or acreage? That's correct. Or that square is square footage. That's a parcel. I'm giving parcel count yeah. percentages, so it's it not. It looked like the percentage would be significantly <clears throat> different if it was based on anything else. Right. So it's right. not by land area, for is example. That Karen, your question. I had a different one, but I'm looking at now. <laughs> yeah. So it's it's basically taking the the total count of parcels, which. I'm going to try to recall back to the spreadsheet from when I think it was 177 parcels within these two districts and the subdistricts. And so it's basically taking account of how many of that 177 fall within this category. And this, this is an interesting uh, way to look at the district as well, which is to think about the year built of the building on a property. So we've categorized those. Uh, the darker tones are older in this case. So the, as you move toward the more yellow light tone, that's more recently built uh, within the last two decades, in fact, since 2001. Um, the average uh, year built across the entire district is 1907. If you just take all the year built dates and then divide it by the number of properties, it's 1907. The most properties occur within the prior to 1920 category with 59% of the properties. So again, just taking the, that property number, the total number of parcels. Are you talking about the physical building on it or the, because uh, I, I see one thing that the color coding doesn't match with the actual building. I used to live at the Walnut Street condos and that block color is, is or maybe I'm seeing the color differential, but I see 2001 
That's the newer complex, but the older complex goes back to the late 1970s, 80s. No, the, the condos aren't on that map, right? Because that would be further down from Walnut. Because, like, Messenger is on the bottom left there, and the condos are further east of Messenger. Maybe um, what I might suggest actually, we, we're going to share this presentation now through the town website. And so if you do have familiarity with a particular property or see the diagram maybe isn't showing a current building massing, we can fix that if you let us know. So I'll, no, I'll have my break, email. I'll have my email address up later. And if, if you do want to take the time, I'd be appreciative if you give us some of those details. We, we'll fix things if need be. But I just want, I want to keep moving just because we have a lot, lot to cover this evening. So we also have, uh, if you take a look at that year date, recent development in Canton Center. And this is really development which has occurred within the, the previous sort of the zoning as it currently has existed since for the last 20 years or so, say. Um, and so these are uh, recent, uh, I guess within that context, recent development projects. And you can see them highlighted on the map here in yellow. And that's about 20 properties which have been developed under the current zoning. Most of those are residential redevelopment projects. And you can see their addresses here too. And the thing to note about those addresses is that most of those developments do not have Washington Street address. Most have a, you can see even on the diagram, there's small portions of Washington Street frontage, but a lot of that yellow is off of the Washington Street frontage. So that's one of the things in terms of how we might think about adapting the zoning is to try to get more of that investment on the Washington Street frontage itself, and what's the trick to doing that? Like that's one of the questions. So just a, a few best practices um, as we think about downtown districts and zoning, and, and as we do this work as planners and, and you know, throughout the region, uh, we, we really think about what type of zoning updates would be most, most effective. There are a few best practices to keep in mind. One is aligning the zoning requirements with the vision for downtown. So the vision was articulated through the master plan. Um, I think there are some things in the current zoning which are inconsistent with that vision, uh, which we'll get your feedback on this evening a little bit as well. But that's, that's one of the first things. Your, your regulatory environment should be matching what the community's vision is, is for a place. That's how uh, you move a, a, a district toward that vision. Um, the, the strong sense of place is a part of that vision, the walkability, the vibrance, uh, a lot of that comes from building up the density of uses and the density of activity in a downtown district. So that's something that we're trying to look at, how that can occur in the characteristics we're, we'll be exploring with you in a moment. Uh, particularly focusing activity on the ground floor. That's where a lot of that vibrancy and activity comes from. Uh, and supporting a critical mass of activity in the district, which attracts uh, additional businesses, additional patrons, and makes it a place where it's not just, for example, one restaurant that people are trying to get to or go to down in uh, Canton Center, but they know that it's a vibrant, active district, so they might just go down there to be there. And then they could go choose from several restaurants, and it helps uh, actually all, all district um, businesses and owners to, to um, be supported by that larger audience that's coming down and thinks it's a nice place to hang out. And then lastly, just thinking about the public realm, the improvements to the streetscape, the investments there, making sure it's all well-maintained. Those are all critical uh, sort of benchmarks for best practices in a downtown district these days. And there's some specific ways to achieve that. So the next uh, set of questions, just to close out this um, presentation on the context before we move into the specific zoning. And let me just pause on that for a moment. So hopefully if you're, you're connected, 
this is how you do connect if you came in a moment after. So text 22333, and you're texting MAPC P-O-L-L. -L. We've got five questions again, and these are about your, your kind of feel about the context today in Canton Center. The first is, how close is Canton Center to your ideal vision? So if you, if you had a magic wand and could make Canton Center exactly what you want it to be, is it close? You're just doing a few adjustments. Is it very close? Not close? You got to really shake that wand hard. Is it really not close? Let, let us know. This helps us to understand the magnitude of change that we're trying to get to in terms of the zoning adjustments. It's like not close is the leading recipient so far. All right, so thank you for that. Next are some, are some general questions to get your feel um, before we get into some details. So first is, do you generally support additional private or public investment in Canton Center? Something that was prioritized in the master plan, of course, but uh, wanting to just double check that a little bit and get a, a heat check on how strong that support is. Uh, I'll use this moment to say that zoning changes, of course, is what the topic of our meeting is this evening. And this is a, the process to define the recommendations, but any zoning change would have a process through the planning board which leads up to a town meeting adoption. So there's a long process ahead of zoning changes. And a part of what we're trying to get a feel for is just how strong the support is, because ultimately it would be requiring town meeting support. And how strongly do you feel generally about supporting additional development or redevelopment in Canton Center? So is there strong support? You're supportive of it, you're neutral, you're in opposition to it, or you're strongly opposing it. That's why you're here this evening. Okay, it looks like most of that is coming back as strongly supportive of, with neutral as a second option there. And then a, a, another key word option, if you had, we had asked about your um, priority or, or hope for it last time with the word, um, key word entry, but this time tell us about your biggest concern. Maybe that's an absence of a nice cream shop. <laughs> so stagnation, uh, vacance, vacancy, Leadership, again, pedestrian issues. So pedestrian is staying the leading vote getter there. So a lot of concerns about the pedestrian environment, the walkability and safety, which show up here, and the traffic. So. We're triangulating on similar answers as we had on the previous keyword entry. Restaurants shows up there as well. Okay, and tra so it looks like pedestrian, traffic, restaurants, and safety are the biggest words I see. Thank you for that. And then this one is more specifically about zoning. Do you generally support updating the zoning in Canton Center? 
And this is our last question before we move into specific, an exploration of specific zoning characteristics. And if you're filling out the, the paper sheet, just make sure we get that at the end and we'll, we'll add it into these answers as well so we, we have everyone's responses. And for those watching at home or watching a recording, I will also note that this will, all of these same questions will be available as an online survey. So we're, we're trying to expand the audience that we reach through this process. So um, people at home who are watching a recording will be able to answer these questions as well. Strongly support for the zoning. That looks like the number one answer, followed by, some, followed by neutral, and then some support as well. So not, not much opposition showing up in this room, which is fantastic. So let's talk now about the uh, potential zoning changes. And, and this evening, just to preface that, we, we don't have um, any really solid recommendations for you this evening. What we're trying to do is explore with you what direction those recommendations should head in, looking at all the characteristics of the zoning. So if you came looking for more specific recommendations from us, next meeting will be the one where you'll get that. But this meeting, we want to hear from you a little bit. So our, our initial impressions, looking at the master plan and the zoning, uh, the master plan goals are, are a good approach, we think, something really to, to build upon. Clarifying the intent and simplicity of the zoning that's there today is, is really important. There's today overlays, underlying zones, there's uh, different uh, outcomes which can occur depending on how you use the overlays of the underlying zones. So there's, it's not a clear path for what can occur on each property. And that, I think, leaves a little, bit, um, a little bit of question of how property might fit into the vision for Canton Center. Uh, as I mentioned in the previous slide, a focus, a focus on Washington Street and its frontage is, is needed. And that not, not, has not been the result of the current zoning. So that's something that we're focused on. And then strengthening the town center orientation. And really, as you all have been responding to with your word answers, uh, thinking about how is uh, future investment reinforcing walkability in a pedestrian environment that feels safe and comfortable and attractive. And then also, we'll, we'll have a slide later, which uh, I mentioned it twice now, but the Commonwealth's new requirements for the Section 3A, which I'll share with you what, what the, exactly that means. So here's using the same diagrammatic base what the zoning looks like. So under the colored coded uh, part of the map, is the underlying zoning. So that's where you see the B's, the business district, the G's, the general residential, the single residential C, and the industrial district. Those are the underlying zones on the properties within the Canton Center Economic Opportunity District. The red line is following the property lines that are within the overlay districts, which I shared earlier with you. And there's two sub-districts. So there's a lot going on. And then each of these have their own um, Relationships to the use tables, dimensional requirements, parking requirements are relatively general and standard across each of them. But there's different avenues of types of projects that can occur on these different, where, where the color coding is and what sub-district you're in. So there's a lot going on, a lot to decipher as a, as a proponent or property owner. So there's a lot of information that I'm going to be presenting now, so I appreciate your patience. I'll try to just give you some uh, verbal high-level cues and set you up so you can respond uh, and feel relatively well-informed when you, when you do some polling questions. We're going to go um, kind of element by element. I'll give you some information, and then you'll have to respond to a poll. So the first is the type of district. 
as, as we just talked about, presently there are overlay districts and there are underlying districts. Um, simplifying the districts means a few things. We could work within the structure that's there today. We could think about an entirely new underlying district. We could think about a new type of overlay. There's a few approaches to do that. There's advantages and disadvantages with each of those approaches. Um, but I want to get a feel for, uh, with you all this evening, if, if there's a preference. Um, within each of those, as I mentioned, there's also different uses permitted. Uh, many of those uses are permitted by right. Some of them might be a surprise for the downtown district. For example, um, I'll just highlight commercial agriculture, for example, is a use permitted by right in a downtown district. Maybe not the best use of that high value area or a sales room for motor vehicles or a golf driving range. Those are all examples of, of something that could show up by right today on one of those properties, which people might not feel are consistent with the vision that's been articulated. So how do we, how do we update that and how does that relate to the underlying and overlay zoning setup? So let's do a little polling on that subject specifically just to see where you all are at on this. Um, the first is, and these, I, I would describe the, the polling answers here in each of these really as a spectrum. So I tried to align it on one end of the spectrum. There's kind of an extreme, there's uh, middle ground in the middle answers, and then there's another extreme on the other end. In this case, I would consider one of the uh, extreme polls creating a new zoning district. I think that, that has a lot of advantages to it, but it also is something that the town will have to um, become more familiar with, learn, learn something new. Uh, as we put that together together. On the other end of that spectrum, I would consider don't change the current setup. That's sort of keeping things just how they are or going all the way towards something new. In between would be developing new overlay districts which are more catered to the outcomes we want to see or updating the current overlays, uh, perhaps adjusting um, how strongly, for example, they sit on top of the underlying zones and what, what they do or don't allow underneath. Um, so. That's all something we can take a look at. So far, for a moment there, it looked relatively indeterminate. And, and I, I also appreciate that some of you out there responding to the polls might not feel you are fully equipped to be giving feedback on this, but we're just trying to get a, a heat check in one direction or another. Uh, I assure you that we'll, we'll be putting our own uh, thought and due diligence into what direction we think makes the most sense. So develop new overlays looks like it's uh, just uh, eking out the response there, just adjusted though to create a new zoning district. So it looks like more skewed towards making more change than less change though, is the general sentiment. And another thing to consider with those changes is the boundary of the zone itself. So you saw the boundary of the overlay districts today is quite a bit larger than for example, the business district of the underlying zone. So on one extent, one ex extent of that spectrum is to keep the boundaries the same as what they are today, uh, referring to the overlay boundaries, or we could follow the underlying boundaries, which are the B district or the single family residence or the industrial. We could create a new boundary or um, follow the overlay boundaries. I guess keep, keep boundaries the same as keep all the boundaries the same, the underlying and the overlay zones. It looks like in this case, again, responses are, are heavily weighted towards creating something new and having a, a departure from the zoning of what we've, we've had been working with over the last 20 years. 
and just touching on use regulations as well. So spectrum here is um, focused on adding new uses, and then down on the other end of the spectrum is uh, really reducing the uses to only the desired uses. So uh, sometimes reducing uses which are allowed is a touchy subject for property owners. They see that as a, um, a diminishment of the rights on their property. But there are there may be um, as answer the answers in between there keep uses the same or reduce some of the inconsistent uses. There may be some inconsistent uses which people would be surprised by today. And it looks like that sort of middle ground of thinking about what, which of those uses really are inconsistent and in, in, uh, figuring out how to pull those out of the options would be the a desired approach, not the more aggressive option D, which is to reduce only to those desired uses. We have a, we have a couple of questions. Um, yeah, I think there could be potentially further definition around mixed use developments, for example. Mixed use is allowed today, but there's not much description around what exactly that should be or what it should mean. So that might be a new use definition which could be added. All right, so it looks like those bars have stopped moving for now. So about the most uh, frequent answer there is to reduce some inconsistent uses, which is not the most extreme version I would consider on that spectrum, more of a middle ground. And I didn't, I didn't touch on this in the initial remarks, but just uh, one thing to consider in, in the zoning as well, which we'll get into more with the discussion around design guidelines, is the notion of building form. That's what we say here by form, mean by form. So. Um, the zoning today is relatively quiet on form. So how a building looks, how a, build, what, how a building relates to the street, for example. Um, so do, would you like your zoning to be more related to form, which is answer D, which is the most, form is the most important. And then that spectrum goes all the way up to A, where uses are most important. I would say the zoning today is probably skewed toward uses are most important. Um, or would you like something in the middle where the uses are balanced with some form, so uses lead form, or answer C, where form is balanced with some uses and the form is leading the uses. So this would, would really point to additional design guidelines or design standards which really describe in more detail what, how a building would conform or how a site would conform with its architecture, landscape, streetscape, outdoor spaces and, and the design of all those together. So it looks like movement toward a little more form, uh, but not too much further down that spectrum. So that, that would indicate adding more in than there is today, but, but not going too wild. And that was 67% with the uses balanced with some form. So let's move on to a few other um, indicators here. So dimensional regulations and lot size. So the district requires a minimum lot size of 10,000 square feet. The underlying business district has no minimum lot size, for example. Uh, the industrial district has a minimum lot size of 1.5 acres. Over the 100, um, over, sorry, of the 177 properties, over 100 of them 
um, have a minimum lot si have a lot size which is below 10,000 square feet, so below the minimum lot size, and that's a lot of the uh, residential properties which are on the side streets, for example, that you see uh, as you move toward the southern part of the district. There, on um, so those properties, uh, for example, would require a variance if they wanted to redevelop uh, because they don't meet the current minimum lot size. So. Uh, the question is about minimum lot size, specifically. And at this point, I'd like to introduce, not to pick on a single property, but I, I did want to introduce some diagrammatic examples of a property because I think it's very helpful just to see some of these zoning characteristics in this way. So the property I picked was the 569 Washington Street property, which is the Canton Market. And it was uh, built in 1978. And typical of that time period for redevelopment, its building is set more to the rear of the property, and its parking is around the front and side. And so you have a few properties like this in Canton Center. And just to, again, not to pick on the property, but as a, from an urban design perspective, when you're trying to create continuity in a downtown district, this approach to property development is, is um, very disruptive for the pedestrian environment and that sense of place which we're trying to build up. You don't want to see uh, the parking, you want to see the building and the storefronts. Is, is really the, the shorthand message there. So if we look at that property diagrammatically, and this is, more, again, that bird's eye view where we can control it a little easier, <coughs> just as a cartoon diagram here. The lot size is about 8,000 square feet. So this is a property which is on Washington Street, has frontage there, but it is below the 10,000 square foot minimum. So that's, you know, calls in, potentially calls into question that minimum and, it, and if it should be adjusted. Today, that retail property is about 2,300 square feet, and it has about 12 parking spaces to support that use. I'll, I'll be using this diagram more as we go further. I'm just setting that up for you guys. So this next question is about um, the lot size. I have one question about it. So what, what minimum lot size do you think is appropriate if we move on that spectrum? So um, on one end of the spectrum is to remove minimum lot size completely. So you can, you can have no minimum lot size. Uh, that's an option. Or reducing the minimum lot size potentially would be another option. Uh, at the other end of the spectrum would be increasing minimum lot size. Sometimes there's reason to do that. Um, one, one example of a reason to do that would be if you're actually trying to encourage assembly of properties so that you get larger development perhaps on one of those frontages. Um, you might not want smaller properties to be able to develop on their own. You want to see several properties have to be uh, combined together in, in a larger redevelopment. Um, so getting your feedback here about how lot size could go. So it's today 10,000 square feet in the district. The consideration would be potentially reducing it. Looks like that's the leading answer. Uh, retaining the same minimum lot size also has some votes, and removing minimum lot size completely also has some votes. And then, no, not sure, not opinion, no opinion also has votes as well. So we'll take that into consideration as we, we consider the lot size in relation to how, how you optimize for the, the right kind of redevelopment in the town center. Uh, next is a discussion around the dimensional regulations, starting with the setbacks. So again, there's variation in the setbacks depending on whether you're looking at the underlying or the overlay districts. Uh, for example, in the business district, there's a 25-foot front yard setback, 6-foot rear and side yard, 
In the industrial district, it's even larger, 60 foot setback. In the overlay districts, it's a 15 foot front yard, no side yards, 25 foot rear yard. Um, generally, you, in a downtown district, you do want to get the buildings moving closer to the sidewalk or expanding that sidewalk realm with outdoor seating. Here's how you see those um, setbacks generally applied to this typical site, which we're, we're showcasing here. It would leave about 4,000 square feet, give or take, um, on that property of the uh, 8,000 or so of the lot. And that correlates with the maximum lot coverage, um, which is allowed between 30 to 50%, depending on the, the zone you're talking about. And this is a lot coverage of 50% here in this case. As an example, if you were to reduce the front setbacks, um, you could potentially then productively move a building footprint a little bit closer to the street. And the, the benefit to that is actually it would allow you, in this, pro in this example property, it would allow you to fit a double loaded parking lot behind the building. So, but that would not be allowed if you're respecting the current setbacks. So there's, there's reason to adjust the setbacks in this, in this diagrammatic case. Do you have data on how many properties meet the current setback requirements? Because it seems to me that hardly any do on Washington Street itself. Yeah, I don't have that data with me tonight, but that will be something that we're looking at closely. And I would agree that a lot of the, the properties which you would see in that earlier year built, the pre-1920, pre which was a lot of the Washington Street frontage, has, has probably pretty close to a zero lot line setback. <coughs> so get, again, to get your insights, that's why we're here this evening. We want to ask about um, lot setbacks and lot coverage. So what, what is your opinion about the most appropriate lot setbacks that we should be thinking about? On that spectrum again, on one end you've got remove lot setbacks, so you can have lot setbacks of zero or not applicable, or at the other end of the spectrum would be increased lot setbacks, though what I would more specifically say is that would be, in my opinion, most applicable to the rear setback, because you're, you're again wanting to push the building to the, toward the front, away from the rear. Uh, in between those two polar opposites, you could have reduced lot setbacks, which is different from removing them, uh, defining a front build to setback. So build to is really more defining a range. So a building would land between a minimum and a maximum. You don't want to be more than 15 feet away from the street, for example, but not less than five feet, something like that. Um, and retain or retain the same lot setbacks as there are today. And, re and retaining them, for example, might be an improvement even, even on itself, depending on the questions we answered previously, for example, if we did create a new overlay which made more clear the relationship to its underlays so that you are, you're dealing with these single set of setbacks and not changing based upon the underlying zone. So I think there, there would be benefit even if you're potentially retaining the same. But it looks like the preferences here are for a front build to setback or removing the lot setbacks altogether or at least reducing them. And also getting your opinion about lot coverage regulations. So on the, again, on that spectrum, we've got one end is removing lot coverage as a metric. And then on the other end is reducing lot coverage. 
But do you okay. see the value of, um, of increasing or allowing um, more coverage? Yeah, I think that the, this I relates back to those the, the question was, what is the value of reducing the lot coverage? And in my opinion, it relates back to the value of density as a best practice and thinking about how redevelopment financially can occur in a downtown district and what you want to see. And sometimes lot coverage, depending on the property, can impact the amount of density that you can get on that property. So it's, um, it's one of, density is not only the product of lot coverage. It's also the product of parking requirements, building height, um, and others. But lot coverage is a part of that set of variables. So that would be something that we're thinking about closely here. It looks like the ans leading answers are shifting. Um, and now it looks like they're landing at remove lot coverage as leading answer and now tied with retaining the current allowed lot coverage. Thank you for that feedback. Next is height, and which I just mentioned is you know very clearly related to density in the district. Currently, in subdistrict A, there's a maximum height measured in feet of 40 feet, measured in stories of three stories. In district B, it's also three stories, but a little shorter by height, 36 feet. Um, it's a smaller height in the general residential and the single residential districts. Um, the one thing I'll observe here is that typically we're trying to move zoning language away from a specific measurement in feet and we're trying to move it more towards stories just to give that flexibility. None of us would walk down the street and say like that 42 story, that for, sorry, not 42 story, that 42 foot building is, is just not the same as that 38 foot building. But it's, it's more the stories and doing it by stories gives the flexibility if, for example, a developer wanted a uh, taller ground floor because of the use that they'll have there and want to make it a really attractive thing. It, if, or a pitched roof, for example, is another thing that sometimes has difficulty with specific height limitations by feet. So I, I would just note that, which we have on a bullet there. If you look at the height in the district, we have um, most, the average height, if you take all properties together, is two stories. Most properties, 64% uh, are within the, what you see here is that middle category, two or two and a half stories. So the, the middle tone of blue. The darker tones of blue are taller in this case, and that's up to four stories presently. 